2024, we started last, if you, last week. If you missed last week's sermon, um, we've actually unveiled kind of a theme. Every year we have a theme for our community. Last year was grit. This year is about being rooted in grace. If you missed it, uh, last week's service uh, is both available on YouTube as well as our website. I've started blogging some of our sermons and some of the key things that we're doing. So if you missed it, you can actually get the summary of it under our website under Read or even on our YouTube. You can rewatch that uh, just so that you can follow along with us as next several weeks we're going to be going through this theme of being rooted. Today we are in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15. And this was, um, if the primary text was John 15, 5 uh, of our theme, this is the secondary text right next to it, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15, and I'm sure we'll be back here uh, sometime this year again. But today, as we spend our time together thinking about what does it mean for us to be rooted in grace, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15. Let me read for us. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and on and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made our life together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disalarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So just quickly, because we, are, we usually go through books of the Bible, but we're jumping in the middle of this letter to the church in Colossae. The occasion of the, let me remind you the occasion of this letter written by an apostle named Paul. See, Paul wrote this letter to a church that he, actually, he has actually never visited, but a church that was planted through his missionary journey, through his disciples. He's writing as a response to a pervasive false teaching that had infiltrated the church in that season. And, and these false teachers and false teaching were leading many people away from the core of the gospel. So we get to chapter 2 and verse 6 to 7. This is sort of the, the purpose of Paul's reasoning to say, remember, do not root yourself, do not root your faith in anything else but Christ the Lord. While the exact nature of the heresy or the false teaching isn't explicitly told to us in the letter, Many scholars suggest that it may, have, it may have included elements of Jewish legalism, mysticism, ascetic practices. Uh, Gnosticism was a, a big false teaching that was going on in the church at the time. 
But whatever the teaching was happening, what Paul was saying is, hey, remember, you came to Christ. You came to faith through Christ. And so you must root yourself in Christ and continue to walk in that reality. So three things about a text. The call, the calling that Paul gives, the reason, and the victory. The call, the reason, and the triumph, the triumph. The call, again, is in verse 6 to 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here's an interesting imagery that Paul uses. Walking while being rooted. Walking while being rooted. How does that, how does that, I mean, Paul obviously doesn't mean literally walking while being rooted, but let's unpack some of the key Greek words in verses 6 to 7 for us to truly understand what Paul, I mean, it's not really difficult, but I do want to unpack a little bit of what Paul is saying here. Verse 6, the word walk comes from the root word, peripateo, which alludes to the idea of walking, but really it is talking about how one conducts one's life in all aspects of their lives. It's about how we conduct our lives at home, at work, in the way we parent, in the way we deal with our spouse, in the way we honor God in our singlehood. All matters of life. The word, the idea of walk means all matters of life. Verse 7, the word rooted, you're going to hear rooted a lot from me throughout this year, comes from the root word rizzo, which conveys the idea of being firmly connected, a stable, deep connection to something other than oneself. And finally, the word built up, epiokodomoimenoi. Epiokodomoimenoi speaks of continuous process of growing, maturing. It's not simply that we come to faith, but it's actually by being rooted in Him, we continue to mature. We continue to be edified. So you put that all together, the message is quite clear. The whole point of the letter is quite clear in verses 6 to 7. The most foundational calling for all Christians is to conduct one's life by being deeply connected to Jesus the Lord. Continuously. But how does that look practically? Because I know that seems pretty simple. We talked about that last week and that's not a, that's not a difficult concept for us to understand. But what does that look like or how do we do that practically we'll come back to this idea Uh, and i want to be as practical as possible today but for now let's move on to why the second part why why should we people who are able intelligent accomplished why should we root our lives in anything other than ourselves or people that we love that seems like how most people in the world live their lives, by being rooted in either themselves, their ability, or people that they love. But Paul says, no, 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 you root yourself in Christ. And the reason why, verses 9 to 10, he explains, for in Christ, only in Christ, not anywhere else, the whole fullness of, of God dwells. Everyone say, fullness of God dwells. Obviously, there's a contextual, clear contextual element to what Paul is talking about here because he's dealing with false teaching that was going on at the church. Right here, by these words, Paul is confronting these false teachers who have claimed that Jesus is merely God-like, that Jesus was a great teacher, he was a great rabbi, he was a great prophet, he was a great 
model of who God is, but they were very against this idea of Jesus being God. But Paul says, through Jesus, we see he's not merely a great representation of God, but he's the very image of God. He's, the, the, he's from God. He's the Son of God. He is God himself. In verse 10, and anyone who has come to faith, he says, has been filled in Christ. Anyone who has come to faith has been filled with that fullness of God. I want to pause just first to think about this idea. Not only that Jesus is the fullness of God, but that fullness of God dwells in each of us. This is a breathtaking statement if you think about it. We mere finite created beings have been given the capacity to hold the fullness of infinite God himself. We finite, broken human beings have been given the capacity to hold the fullness of God in each of us. God who is the head of all rules and authority. That's what he says in verse 9. This is Jesus who is head of all rule and authority, all structures of power, whether ancient or modern, they be political, economical, or racial, There is no rival to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. We have been given the capacity to hold the fullness of God in each of us. And by reminding us in verse 9 that Jesus is head of all authority, head of all rule. You see what Paul is doing is he's he's not only confronting the external realities that the church was facing at the time, which was the false teaching and false gospel. But really, by saying we hold him and he rests in us, the the one with all of authority, all of power, what he's saying is he's not just confronting what is external, but he's also confronting what is internal, the condition of every human heart. When he says God is head of all rule and all authority, he's saying every one of us, regardless of our temperament or personalities, in each of us there is this persistent temptation to what? To, to, to become the ultimate authority over not only our lives, but the lives of those that are around us. And if you think about from Genesis to Revelation, every man of God, woman of God, that come to faith and, and struggle, what's the persisting struggle that they face? It's, it's this idea of, hey, I want to be my own Authority. I want to take control of my own life. Adam and Eve, starting from Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, we talk about this story a lot. What was their issue? They had everything set up. They had this wonderful garden, and God said, you could have everything, but do not touch this one fruit. It's about issue of authority. It, comes, it all comes back to the desire to govern, govern our own lives, to navigate our own destinies, Yet if you have lived life long enough, and I think most of us have lived life long enough here, we, we know how futile it is for you and I to assume that we can have any lasting sense of control. Life could feel great one moment, and the next moment things could fall apart. And this is why over and over again throughout both Old Testament and New Testament Scripture, 
we are invited to what? To give up the sense of control. To re- relinquish the burdensome weight of attempting to govern our destinies independently, even though that's what we desire. And what Paul is saying is, this, 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 this Jesus who is head of all rule and all authority, he wants to fill you with his goodness. What Paul says, God desires to fill us with his goodness. He desires to guide, protect, and orchestrate the intricate details of our lives with wisdom that far surpasses our own only if we're willing to root our lives in him and in his authority. But what does that look practically? What does it really mean for us to root our lives in Christ? And how do we accomplish that? Because our battle, the battle that you and I fight in 2024, Seoul, Korea, living as Christians or someone who's pursuing God, looks a little different from what they were facing in Colossae at the time of the letter. For many of us, it's not always conflicting beliefs and ideologies, even though they are there. I think the more pervasive influence for people living in this city is distractions. We are constantly distracted. Don't you feel you are constantly distracted? Even now, as you're sitting here, don't you, aren't you like itching to open up your phone, check your notification? Something came in. It's probably some ad on cacao, but you know I can never turn off ads on cacao. It's so annoying. But anyway, right? It, we're, we're constantly distracted. You open your phone up to set up an alarm. I do this all the time, right? Before I go to sleep, I want to set an alarm. But you end up spending, what, an hour later scrolling through mindlessly through some YouTube uh, reels about cats and baby videos and your friend's vacation photos. And, and so often I forget why I picked up my phone in the first place. I, I go to my, e- I'm, 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 okay, I'm going to email the elders or something. I go to my email, right? Guess what? I'm not emailing. I'm on Facebook. I don't even use Facebook. My mom uses Facebook. But I realize I have this weird habit of just logging on and just going to Facebook. I don't even use Facebook. Like my, my parents, friends, they post on my wall. I never post. But I do that just, just distracted as, as a habit because I've just gotten so used to logging on without even thinking about it. It's a different kind of battlefield. I think especially people living in this city, there's constant noise and distractions. So how do we navigate this overwhelming sea, sea of distractions, the news, entertainment, never-ending stream of content, near-impossible environment where we can sit still and practice solitude. Like silence and like turning off the light, that's not reality for us unless we're willing to intentionally engage in that. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher many years ago once said, The present state of the world and the whole of life is diseased. If I were a doctor and were asked for my advice, I would reply, create silence. This quote was from early 1800s. One of the most innovative inventions at the time was the bicycle. The bicycle was the most most innovative invention at the time of the statement. I wonder what he would say if he came into our space and saw our smartphones or our devices. So we really, unless we are intentional about creating solitude, 
intentional about creating spaces and time to be silent. It's never going to happen. Listen to Dallas Willard. And he says, solitude well practiced will break the power of busyness. Solitude is actually our combat against being busy. Haste and isolation and even loneliness. I think a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Charles was saying, uh, WHO said loneliness is one of, one of the new pandemics of our generation. How do we overcome loneliness? Silence. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like, I'm lonely, but I'll be silent. That, that, that seems counterproductive to me when I think about if, if I'm lonely, I want to turn on the TV. I want to turn on noise. But actually, Dallas Willis says it's actually silence. How you combat loneliness. You will see that the world is not, your sh- not on your shoulders after all. You will find yourself, and God will find you in new ways. Far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. What Dr. Willard is saying is silence is not merely an absence of sound, but a deliberate stillness. It is within this silence that the reality of God stands in the midst of our lives. Right? If we want to experience the presence of God, part of experience the presence of God is being able to turn off everything in our lives, including our own voices, to say, let me sit still before the Lord. That means if you need to wake up before everyone else to come before the Lord, we need to do this. That means if... You need to go to work a little early to arrive there before anyone else so that you can spend some time in solitude. We need to do that. It means if we need to pick up our, our, our children or child 20 minutes late from the daycare so that we can spend time with the Lord, you're invited to do that. But one thing I know about solitude, it will not happen without you and I being intentional. Trust me, it will not no way. We don't live in Norway. We don't live in the middle of nowhere. We live in, in concrete jungle of Seoul, Korea. We're constantly distracted. So when you think about our theme for 2024, right? It's rooted in grace, but the tagline is deepening roots through abiding practices. Right? I want to key on abiding practices. Practices like solitude and fasting and, and silence these are abiding practices that we need to be able to root ourselves, but we cannot do that unless we create healthy habits. So I said I want to be very practical. I want to talk about creating healthy habits. Numerous studies show anywhere between 50% to 90% of decisions that we make every day in action, right? They are not decisions that we make, but they are habits that we have formed. From your morning routine of getting out of your bed, when you got up this morning, whatever you did, check your phone, grab a cup of coffee, um, brush your teeth, commuting to work, all those decisions are not individual decisions when you think about it. We think, oh, we, so I think when I log on to Facebook, I think, oh, I decided to log on to Facebook. Honestly, I have no idea how I got to Facebook. I just sit down on my desk, I'm already on Facebook, reading my parents' friends' posts. Nobody, none of my friends are on Facebook anymore, right? All those decisions, though, are not individual decisions, but they're habits. For years and years, when I was using Facebook, for years and years, this is what I've done. So without even me making a decision, I'm sitting down and I'm on Facebook. Psychologists call this adaptive unconsciousness. There's a term for this. 
right? Human brains is always looking for ways to save energy, right? So once habits are formed, our brain will shut off. Something like brushing your teeth, right? I mean, in Mongolia, we taught kids how to brush your teeth. I was like, oh, I never knew this, right? It was like really awesome, right? But, but you know, growing up, we, we brush our teeth. And whenever, whenever I brush my teeth, I'm multitasking because I'm not thinking about how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go you know, 20 times, 20 times, 40 times. I'm not doing that. I'm just doing it without even realizing because it's something I've done all my life. Driving, same thing. You get in the car, you're trying to go somewhere. Uh, you're, not, you're not really focused. You could be doing other things because what? You know how to drive. So if, if this is true, when our actions become habitual with enough time and repetition, what they do is they greatly shape not only what we do, but who we become. Oh, now it's even more serious. It's not just what we do, but it's actually who we become. This means the trajectory of our lives isn't primarily dictated by grand conscious decisions, but rather by seemingly trivial unconscious habits. See, many assume it's our beliefs, our convictions, our values that will determine our life's direction. Yet often, and and, and, and in some cases, yes, that's true. But often what you realize is these small, seemingly insignificant, unconscious habits that profoundly shape our lives. Almost every year I tell myself, okay, I'm going to lose about 10 kilo. I I have... I have actually a physical checkup in like two weeks and I'm scared, right? The doctors don't always tell me, right? I always tell myself I'm going to lose 10K, right? And maybe you've told yourself, I'm going to lose 5K. I'm going to accomplish this. See, I could envision how I will look 10Ks lighter. I'll look great. I've, I've, I've been there. I look amazing. How, how I might feel. I could, you know, I could maybe finally fit into these jeans I've been holding on to. Lois is like, you're not fitting into these. I'm like, no, I'm keeping them. I'm going to wear them. You could download, I could download an app that would show me how I would look like 10Ks lighter and it would look great. Yet unless you create healthy habits, working out, eating, sleeping, small things, small details, it doesn't matter how, how, how much you're convinced. I've always wanted to be 10K, 10K lighter, but I've never been able to accomplish that because I'm not, it's, it's these habits. You right, sweetie? My daughter's a little sick today. Okay. And Chiman, you're going to love this. Atomic Habits. The book Atomic Habits by James Clear is a wonderful book about this topic. I think it's the most, most recent one, and I think it's pretty good. And he talks about just the things that I talked about, the, the transformative power of tiny changes. In the book, he highlights the significance of identity and how one's habits shape their identity. It's not our identity that shapes our habits, Often it's the other way around. One example he gives in the book is about this British cycling team and how the new coaching staff made these seemingly small adjustments, right? Redesigning the bike seats, using uh, new sensors, and they've tested like massage gels and teaching riders how to wash their hands. It's really seemingly irrelevant changes, but they made these changes that they gave them small advantages here and there. They painted their, their team truck white so that they could like look for these dusts, right? So that they could ride faster. And, how, and, and the book t- talks about how these seemingly minor changes over time brought astonishing results. 
for, for, so as we approach this new year, many of us are fixated on monumental actions for success. Right? Lose 10 kilo, read 50 books, learn three languages. Yet what, what the author is saying is the real magic lies in consistent incremental progress rather than these big goals that we have. So in the same when we think about being rooted in Christ and growing in our faith, because I, I'm convinced that all of us, in our own ways, we want to grow in the Lord. We want to know how to pray. We want to know how to seek the Lord. We want to know how to have wisdom. We want to know how to raise our children according to Scripture. It's about start making small incremental changes in our day-to-day creating small spaces throughout our day, maybe in the morning, maybe during your lunch break, maybe it's before you start work, before you go to school, before you do things, creating, designing your life to not only create time, but to create space. Like this, this is gonna, like, like one thing I realized, even the way you design your home or design your apartment, design your tiny little office style will change the way you think about prayer. Change the way you think about your routine. So really, one of the, one of the, one of the main things I, I want us to really think about is, are we doing these tiny, small, important changes so that we can grow closer to the Lord? Like, we can wish and dream and desire to become more knowledgeable, become more equipped. We, we, we want to have these big dreams, but really it starts from day to day. Tomorrow, what would you do when you wake up tomorrow? How are you going to design your week this week? So we need good habits. We need good habits, amen? And we need to encourage one another because habits, right, it's hard. When we're doing morning prayer, by day three, I was like, oh, it's too long. I was like, I'm ready to be done. But when I knew when I woke up on Thursday, people will be there. And there was great encouragement because there was the congregation, people there. Um, all right, I think I've talked enough of habits. But Paul now, let me wrap up our time. Paul ends this whole section not pointing to habits, right? That's, that's what Paul does. Uh, Paul once again points to the truth of the gospel. Verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, he unpacks the beauty of the gospel, talking about circumcision and the baptism. Verse 12, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13 and 14, you who were dead in sin, God made alive together with Christ, though Jesus being nailed on the, through Jesus being nailed on the cross, all of our debt has been canceled. Habits are good and helpful, and it will help us in many ways, but it will not save us. What will save us, what Paul said, what will save us is actually the gospel. We will have good days, we will have bad days, we will have terrible days when it comes to our spiritual discipline, things like that. But, But even on our worst day, what Paul is saying is it is, through what Christ has done, we are growing. We are able to walk in him. The cross stands not only as a symbol of our victory, but our reality. Right? Our victory over all forces of darkness, of forces of evil, even, even all voices that condemn us, that discourage us, even our own voices. And again, 
the, the very hope that we hold on to through our challenges, through this year, is not, again, our ability to create these wonderful habits and do really well. But it's despite our daily successes and failures, it's trusting in what Christ has done. Yes, the challenge for this year is for you and I to be deeply rooted in Christ. But what Paul is saying in verses 12, 13, 14, we can only be rooted in Christ because he has rooted himself in us first. We can experience the fullness of God because what? God has given us the capacity to experience him and through Jesus that became possible. Amen? Let's spend some time uh, praying together. Uh, can I invite Chinsor to play for us? Um, first topic, let's pray about, let's pray asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, in what areas, really practically, in what areas, in what places, what, where in my day can I create space uh, to meet with you? Lord, would you give me wisdom? Um, would you give me courage? Would you give me others that would, that would walk with me in this area? Let's pray uh, yeah, for discernment. Pray for uh, the areas that you want to change. Let's dedicate those moments, those time slots to the Lord now as a sign of faith. Lord, starting this week, I want to spend first five minutes with you in the morning. I want to spend last 20 minutes in the Word during my lunchtime. Not just, Lord, I want to grow in the Word. It's, Lord, I want to do these things. Would you help me? Would you challenge me? Let's, let's make that a first prayer. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us uh, how to do things, God, in a way that honors you, God. The small, tiny change that we can make throughout our day to recognize you, to be known by you, um, to continue to walk in the truth that you give, you provide, to conduct our lives being rooted in Christ. in our lives, God, that is distracting us, God. Do good things, God. Would you lead us? Would you remind us? Reflect. Challenge our community, God. These variety practices. Part of the passage, uh, we didn't we didn't actually go over this section, but in verse seven, um, talks about being abound, abounding in thanksgiving, and we were just singing earlier um, in the service. God is so good. God is so good. And I don't know how many of you guys really felt like singing that song. Maybe you had a difficult week, difficult um, challenge this week. Something happened, and you're like, man, maybe God is not so good. But, but can we remind ourselves as prayer of faith that God is indeed good, 
that God has given me life. God has given me this and provided for me. And, and, and look back to the time where God has shown his faithfulness. And would you, if, if that's you feeling ungrateful or, or feeling like God has been good to you, would you pray this over yourself that God, you are so good. Everything I have in my life, I do not have them without you. Jesus, without you, I don't have life. Can we spend a few minutes reminding ourselves the goodness of God? And can we pray that our church will be a community that is abounding in thanksgiving? Through the difficulties, through the challenges, not only when things are, things are good, but when things are challenging, we say, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. You are good, good Father. You are good shepherd. You are the one who guides us. You are the one who gave us life. We go through different seasons. so good together not not the not the modern version i can't sing that but i can sing the the old school version ready god is so good it's just god is so good guys if you knew god is so good god is so good he's so good to me he's so through something really difficult uh, that have gone through something really challenging and these words seem very foreign to us I pray that Lord uh, if anyone feels their way in this place that you would comfort them you would meet them where they are but also you would remind them that you want to fill them in your fullness you want, to fill them, you want to fill them in your love, in your character, in your power, in your authority. So Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts 
Would you open our hearts to confess these words? And Lord, indeed, you have been so good to our community. You've been so good this year, calling us to be rooted in grace. What a wonderful, wonderful calling. Help us to do it joyfully, Lord. And Lord, if people need encouragement, would you challenge our community to encourage one another? If we need to be more disciplined, Lord, would you convict us even now to be more disciplined in the way we consume things, to be disciplined in the way we see life, disciplined in the way we schedule things, disciplined in the way we parent, the way we date in these areas, God, so that we can continue to mature, we can continue to walk and mature and because we are rooted in Christ. We love you. We thank you. Just let me pray.